is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Praise God. So I would ask you this morning to bear with me and remember that I'm a novice at this. <laughs> In spite of my age. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you for allowing me to share with you this morning. And I want to say, too, that I do believe I have a word from the Lord that he wants to share with us today. And by the time I'm done, I suspect that it may not win me any contests of popularity or happiness. Um, but I believe it's a word from the Lord, and I'm going to let him take care of how you respond. The title of my message this morning is, Good Intentions Are Not Good Enough. Good intentions are not good enough. Now, I have to tell you that if there was a contest going on for good intentions, and I was a participant, I am sure I would get first place. <laughs> I would be named the queen of good intentions. I've been talking about losing 10 pounds for the last three years. I've had really good intentions, but it hasn't happened. I've been talking about eating healthy every day so that I'll lose those pounds. And what do I do? I go to the grocery store and I buy not one, but two cartons of ice cream. <laughs> and that is just after having dinner with a friend who said to me specifically before we parted company, don't go down the ice cream aisle. <laughs> what can I say? And can I just tell you that I bought a cheap brand and it really didn't even taste that good? <laughs> but I haven't decided to throw it away yet either. <laughs> so there we are. What else can I say? I have the good intention of going to bed every night at the right time so that I wake up in the morning refreshed and ready for the new day. I have the good intention of texting a friend and just saying, hey, just thinking about you, and then the text doesn't get sent. I have the good intention of spending more time in the Word, or spending more time in prayer. Sometimes it happens, but not always. I have the good intention of, and you fill in the blank. I want to share with you from the scriptures today some examples of good intentions gone awry. But I also want to tell you that we don't have to stay there. The Lord has given us clear directions in his word on steps we can take to get past those good intentions. So let's pray together, and then we'll get into the word. Papa, we thank you for your presence here. I ask even now again, Lord, for calmness, clarity, and clear communication. that the hearts of your people would hear your voice today, not mine, that I would speak only the words that you would have me speak. Papa, give us hearing ears to hear and open hearts to receive from you today. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 21? We're going to look at verses 28 through 31 to start our message. Matthew 21, verses 28 through 31. Jesus is teaching in the temple, and he tells a short parable. But what do you think? He's talking to the congregants. A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. So let's stop there. It's not too difficult to figure out which son walked in obedience that day to the will of his father. The first son flat out said, no way, dad, I'm busy, I'm not going. But then he felt bad about it. The second son, on the other hand, started out with good intentions. Sure, Dad, I'll go, happy to help. But what did he do? He probably had a project of his own he'd already been working on or other plans for the day that he thought he was going to participate in, maybe a friend he was going to go off with. And somehow, he let those things distract him and sidetrack him, and he never made it to the vineyard. He had good intentions, but good intentions are not good enough. When he finally realized how late in the day it was, he said, Sorry, Dad, I didn't make it. Now, it probably meant that there were a few weeds that didn't get pulled. There were probably a few vines that didn't get watered that day, so it wasn't anything terribly tragic. But he didn't meet the intentions that were asked of him. We go from there to a much more serious example of good intentions gone awry. And unfortunately, with de devastating consequences. This is a story that we read in Matthew chapter 26, an exchange that Peter had with Jesus. This took place on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. Judas had gone to the chief priests and the scribes and offered to deliver Jesus to them. So the plan had been set in place, and Jesus knew that his time was short. So the disciples had spent the Passover meal together, and at the end of that meal, they, the Lord passed the bread and the cup and introduced them to what we call communion today. And in verse 30, it says that they sung a hymn together, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, in Matthew 26, beginning our reading in verse 31, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. 
Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Now, as we continue reading through the chapter, Jesus asked the disciples to sit and watch while he went off a little distance to pray. And he specifically asked James and John and Peter to go just a little further. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus said to them especially, pray that you may not enter into temptation. But what did the disciples do instead, and Peter in particular? Jesus had gone just a little distance from them, and when he came back to them, what were they doing? They were sleeping. So much for Peter's good intention. Here was his opportunity to fortify himself in the spirit, in prayer, so that he would remain strong. But he didn't take advantage of the moment when it was offered to him. So what happened? Judas shows up with a whole group of people sent with him from the chief priests and the elders. There's a brief exchange of words in the garden, but the end result was that Jesus was arrested. He was taken to Caiaphas' house, the high priest, where there was a whole group assembled. And the scriptures tell us in verse 36 that all of the disciples forsook him and fled. But in verse 58, it says, But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. So let's pick it up in verse 69, and again, we're still in Matthew 26. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he, Peter, denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied it with an oath this time. I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. It wasn't enough for him at that point just to say that he didn't know Jesus. He had to add a few curses and swear words for added emphasis. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. I am sure that when Peter woke up that morning, what was in his heart was excitement and enthusiasm it was the Passover. He was going to eat the Passover meal with Jesus and all of the disciples. It never 
occurred to him. It never crossed his mind in a million years how the day would end for him. The last thing on earth he thought he would ever do would be to end his day denying the Lord Jesus. The man that he had spent the last three years with in close fellowship, in relationship with, the man he had talked to, traveled with, cried with, rejoiced with, the man he had committed himself to, the man he had been discipled by, this man whom he dearly loved, they had done life together. And yet, when faced with the reality of what was happening in those hours that night, Peter was telling a very different story. He had good intentions, but good intentions are not good enough. Now, I cannot tell you for sure, because I wasn't there. I'm old, but not that old. <laughs> why Jesus, or I'm sorry, why Peter denied Jesus when he was put to the test. It may have been flat-out fear, or it may have been a, that he allowed a little pride to creep into his heart, and he thought he was spiritual enough to handle anything that came his way. It may be that because he had spent so much time with Jesus, he just thought that automatically covered him and made him strong enough and that he would not fail to stand up for Jesus if put to the test. You would think that the very fact that Jesus had told him directly, you will deny me, would have given him pause and made him stop to think that Jesus wouldn't lie to him. I don't know, but what I do know is that Peter found himself in one of the darkest hours that he had ever faced. And when it was all over, Jesus' words came back to him. The scripture says he went out and wept bitterly. There was a whole lot of grief and remorse and regret going on. Now, thankfully, the scriptures tell us that that's not the end of the story for Peter. His relationship with Jesus was restored, and he became one of the most powerful and mightily used men of God in our New Testament. But listen to these words from Peter out of the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. Likewise, you younger people, and older people too, you're not exempt, I'm not exempt, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter was talking out of his own experience because he had been there. 
He knew what it was to have good intentions and fail miserably when he was put to the test. But he also knew what it was to walk in the forgiveness and the grace and the restoration of the Lord Jesus when he repented and humbled himself and submitted himself to God's authority. He was a changed man. As Pastor Anna shared with us last week, as she told us that not only did Peter have a heart change, he had a name change. When Peter's first introduced to us in the scriptures, he's introduced as Simon. Simon means reed. And reed means a person or thing too weak to rely on. One easily swayed or overcome. But Simon did not stay that way. Through his surrender to the Lord Jesus and the power of God at work in his heart, he became Peter, which means rock. And what did Jesus say to him then? And in fact, Jesus actually spoke these words over Peter before the denial ever took place. In Matthew 16, 18, it tells us, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The book of Acts especially testifies to the mighty man of God that Peter became. So how does this relate to us? God has designed every one of us, created uniquely in his image, with a plan and a purpose to bring honor and glory to him. God's intention for us is that we are solid, that we live victorious lives, that we have positive influence, that we leave a godly mark on this world. But instead, too often, we find ourselves living under the circumstances, right? Feeling defeated, barely getting through our days, looking at others and comparing ourselves. I'll never be like Pastor Anna. I'll never be like Pastor Joel. I'll never be like Pastor Dave. I'll never be like Pastor Nita. No, you will never be like them. You know why? Because God uniquely created you to be you. He doesn't want you to look like anybody else. He wants you to look like he made you to look, how he created you to be. So if we're going to live in the uniqueness and the productive lives and the fullness, the victorious lives, how are we going to do that? Well, I'd like to tell you how, or at least I'd like to give you a couple of ways. So if you look at Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, God has given us the tools in his word to live productive, fruitful lives. But we have the responsibility to pick up those tools and use them. They will not use themselves. Good intentions are not good enough. So let's read what those scriptures say. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which means patiently enduring lasting offense or hardship, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Who doesn't want to be known for having the fruit of the Spirit in their lives? But how is that fruit going to be produced? It doesn't just happen because it's a good idea or even because it's a God idea or just because Christians are supposed to be kind and good and joyful. John 15, 1 through verse 8 tells us how it's going to happen if we will follow his instructions. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. I'm sorry, great glory to my Father. The key to our fruitfulness is that we have to remain connected to the Lord through the Holy Spirit and his word. But it requires effort and action on our part. Good intentions are not good enough. Just as an effective gardener does not withhold water or food, we call it fertilizer, but it's food for the plants, just as an effective gardener does not withhold those things, even so we cannot withhold water and food from our spiritual gardens. Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John 4.10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And in verse 14 he says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus offers us the ultimate, living water from the well of God himself. Not just a bottle of water that costs you 10 bucks because somebody slapped a special label on it. No, he says it will become in him, meaning become in us a fountain of water. You'll never have to worry again about the source of supply. It's yours for all of eternity. Jesus is our living water and our food. He's the word of God. 
John 1, 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have everything we need to be good spiritual gardeners. But it's up to us to use the resources that have been supplied to us in order to make those spiritual gardens grow. I'll let you in on a little secret. You have to take action and make use of the tools that God has given to you. So get out the weed whacker and the pruning shears and the weed puller and the shovels and the spades and go to work on your garden. Start trimming off those dead branches, or we might call them dead works. Get rid of the rotten fruit so that there's room for healthy fruit to grow. What am I talking about? Galatians 5, 19 through 21 gives us an idea of what the dead branches and rotten fruit and weeds look like. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, maybe you can't relate to all of those rotten fruits, but if you're honest, like me, you would have to say, I can relate to some of them. Jealousies, envy, contentions, outbursts of wrath. Okay, just leaving it there. <laughs> and the Bible is very clear. Sin is sin, period. We don't get to let some of those weeds stay and say, eh, it's just a little weed, not going to matter too much, right? No, I don't recall anywhere in the Bible where we are told that our sins are judged by categories, meaning small, medium, or large, right? Sin is sin. If it's in your life, it needs to be out of your life. It needs to be confessed before the Father. It needs to be dug up from the roots and gone in the name of Jesus. There's a gardening term that I learned recently from a friend who has um, really gotten into growing her own fruits and vegetables in the last year or so. And that word is bolt, B-O-L-T. I, I had no idea it related to gardening, but it does. And this is what it means in gardening terms. Most plants bolt due to hot weather. When the ground temperature goes above a certain temperature, this flips a switch in the plant to produce flowers and seeds very rapidly and to abandon leaf growth almost completely. Bolting is a survival mechanism for the plant. I think we can relate to the term bolt in people terms. When things heat up, we go into scramble mode and we want to bolt, meaning we want to turn tail and run rather than dealing with the issues that are before us and whatever it is we're facing. So again, let me encourage you today, whatever that rotten fruit is or that dead branch or that weed in your life, 
whack that thing off, chop it off, pull it out, dig it out. Don't allow it to remain in the garden of your heart any longer. You know what that thing is. I'm not going to try to name it for you because the Holy Spirit has already been talking to you about it. Let him speak to you today and let him minister to you. And may I just interject here, let's quit being fruit inspectors and running around the neighborhood checking out everybody else's gardens. We've got too much work to do right in our own gardens. And that's where our eyes and our focus need to be between us and him. Amen. So be willing to do whatever it takes to begin to see God's fruitfulness take place in your lives. Who doesn't want to live in love and joy and peace? And who doesn't want to be long-suffering, especially when that child is trying your patience, right? (laughs) Who doesn't want to be kind and good and faithful and walk in gentleness and have self-control, like not going down the ice cream aisle when you know you shouldn't? Just remember, good intentions are not good enough, and they won't make your spiritual garden grow. Okay, so now, maybe you can't relate to gardening so much, so let me give you another example of what I'm talking about. Does anybody here besides me like to watch American Ninja Warrior? Okay. I discovered that program a couple of years ago, and I have to just tell you that I am absolutely fascinated by it. The athletic abilities of the competitors are amazing to me. But guess what? They didn't get that way because they had good intentions to be a good athlete. No, good intentions are not good enough. First came the decision to compete in that contest. And then they had to have a plan. If they were going to compete, how would they compete to be successful? How are they going to get in shape? They would have to have a workout regimen. They would have to need a healthy diet plan. They would have to know how long to exercise, how many calories to eat, how much rest they need, all of these things. Nothing left to chance if they're serious about winning the prize, which in this case happens to be a million (laughs) dollars. So if you've watched the program, you know that periodically they play little clips of various competitors. And the one that stands out to me is the young man from Alaska. Just a couple weeks or so ago I was watching and they showed a clip of him and there he is with his beanie on his head, his long pants, his heavy jacket, and it's 22 degrees outside and he's out there on his obstacle course in the snow and ice. Okay, that's craziness, right? You know, I have a hard enough time just coming to San Clemente on Sunday mornings and it's in the 60s and I'm like, how do you people wear your sandals and stand it? I can't, you know, it doesn't work for me. I got the long socks and the jacket and it's like, I'm prepared, I'm staying warm, you know? Okay, what I'm saying here is he's serious. He's made up his mind, he's determined, 
and he's going to do whatever it takes to win that prize. So in that same way, let's set our hearts. Let's remember today that good intentions are not good enough. If we want to be successful, if we want to be plugged in, it's going to require effort on our part. I think King David set a good example for us when he gave us Psalm 63. There's some clear steps to follow. He starts out in verse 1, O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. When? Early in the morning. That's how he begins his day. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Ask the Lord to make you hungry and to thirst for more of him. He will. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Fruitfulness. So the, the psalm goes on, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Be in the house, in this house with other believers, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This is one way that we encourage ourselves and we encourage each other. The, verse go, the verses go on, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Worship him when we do come together. Don't waste the opportunity. Don't sit in the house and let your mind wander and be distracted by the plans for lunch after church or the, the project at work that's coming up next week. Focus. Take the opportunity. Seize the moment to connect with him. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Give testimony to the goodness of God and give honor and praise to him. Have a heart of gratitude for what it is that he has done for you. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. When I lay awake at night, I recall your goodness and your faithfulness to me and to your word. I dwell on the good things that God has done for me. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. I am safe in his presence. I don't wander off on my own. I make sure I stay right by his side, relying on his protection over me. Meditate on the word. Take a passage like this and commit it to memory. Let the seeds of the word of God take root in your spirit and let the living water wash over you and cause those seeds to grow and the roots to go deep until we become so firmly established that we are like a rock, unshakable and unmovable 
in our foundation. Go back and listen to to previous messages if you need to. And if you didn't catch everything the first time, go back and listen again. Saturate yourself with the word of God. And don't let the enemy rob you or sidetrack you and keep you from everything that God has for you. Just this past week, I was in conversation with Pastor Anna on our on a ride down to a meeting, and I was saying, how do I, how do, I do this? And she said to me, wise words, you have to settle it. She said, you have to settle it in your heart. I'm asking you today to settle it in your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about those things that need to come out, those things that need to be chopped off, But settle it today that you're going to keep your eyes on him. You're going to keep your focus on him. You're going to let the living water wash over you and saturate you and keep you in his presence. The reality is that we have the decision. We make choices every day. Our whole lives are all about the choices that we make. We make the choice to set the alarm for 6 a.m. And then we make the choice to get up in the morning when it goes off. We make the choice to have breakfast or not have breakfast. We actually make the choice to go to work or not go to work. Now, that won't go over so well if you're supposed to be there and you don't show up. But you hear what I'm saying? It's, It's so easy to believe the lies of the enemy And I let him tell you, oh, I can't. I can't be strong in my faith. Or I can't do what it is the Lord is asking me to do because it's too hard. No, it's not too hard. He would have never asked you in the first place if he hadn't called you to it. This is not in my notes. God wants to set you free today. He wants those distractions and those sidetracks gone. He wants your focus on him. He wants you to live victorious. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants the love and the joy and the peace to be evident in your life every single day. Not just on Sunday because you've been at church and you've been with others. But every single day. And we have the choice. We make the decision. Will I connect with him today? Or will I just kind of let the opportunity pass? Let him speak to your heart today. Let him minister to you in those places in your spirit that need ministering. Let him pour out fresh water. Let him saturate you with his love. Hallelujah. Thank you.